Yo, 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 what up, yo, party people all over the world, homeboy, fly guys, and pretty girls. Let me take time out to introduce myself. It's Dev Tumbleweed, the Black Prospector, coming at you with part three of the interview that I did with my dad. And in this particular episode, this one was a little rough uh, because it made me think about some things as a dad in my own life. Words that we say and words that really convey a different meaning than what we might have intended for it to mean to our children. So in this particular one, you're going to hear my dad really go a little bit more into his life in California and also growing up in Detroit and how it shaped him and some of his hobbies and his interests. But a couple of things that that came out that I'll just point out to give you a little bit of background that we didn't get into. But, you know, one thing, number one, an issue that that you know jumped out that was like wow that's interesting is that when i asked my dad what would he had rather have been in his life it was rather shocking to me that he didn't really have an answer and if you would have asked me if you ask me now what would i rather be doing well i can come up with a host of things and i'll say push comes to shove if you asked me in my late teens i would have said i still wanted to become a baseball player but he didn't really have much of an answer. And I think that may speak to really how beat down black men were in our society. Many black men may be that way today. You listening to this, you might be that way today. Because growing up, although no one ever said, and you'll hear him say this, no one ever said you can't be or you can't do something. I do wonder if it's implied. If anyone remembers that classic scene of many classic scenes in the movie Malcolm X, Malcolm's teacher said, well, I forgot what Malcolm said he wanted to do, but Malcolm's teacher said, well, what about becoming a carpenter? Jesus was a carpenter. (laughs) And there's another interview that I'm going to try to set up with uh, one of another esteemed older gentleman that once told me that he had a teacher tell him that in school that, well, you should become a carpenter. And knowing this gentleman, he probably instead could have been an engineer. But I think this is the mentality that many black men grow up with. And we oftentimes don't even think about it. And especially when we look at institutional racism, we look at and and wonder, well, why can't black men be more like, or why can't black men take more initiative? Or why can't black men dream bigger than what they're dreaming on the street? Well, because many of them never either had an example before them, especially pre-internet age, or many of them for whatever, for numerous reasons, just never saw themselves getting out of their neighborhood. And another point that my father is going to bring up here is he alludes to something that we can't do something. We can't do fill in the blank for said career. And I remember when I was growing up, I had a neighbor. The neighbor was named Al. And Al was where he worked in the automotive industry and he used to drive different cars home from American Motors. Now, for those of you who remember American Motors, I know you feeling old right now. So Al would bring home cars from American Motors. And of course, being in Detroit, that wasn't uncommon. We saw a lot of cars around American Motors. The headquarters wasn't too far from my house. But Al would bring cars home. And my father always noted that he had a job where he basically had a white collar job. I will come home in in uh, button down dress shirts and have different cars. Later, I would end up owning a vet on our block. Uh, 
it was pretty obvious that Al was not a factory worker like my dad was and many of the other dads that were on my block. What's funny is going back and thinking about that, Al, maybe subliminally, was a bit of an inspiration even for me. Because now, decades later, a man that, you know, looking at that, I think my father would have said, black people can't have those jobs. Black people can't do that. Black people can only do this. And yet now I've been working in one of those jobs for over 15 years. So I will say, if you're listening to me right now and you are one of those young brothers that feel like, well, I can't or that black people can't. Well, I'm going to say reject that notion. And I'm thankful I have to say I rejected that notion even from my own father of what black people can't do, especially for black men. You have no choice because you're not going to likely marry a black woman that's going to save you. You're going to be the one that's responsible of raising a family, providing for a family and providing for a wife. So no one's coming to save you. And if institutional racism is that much of a problem, then you better find ways to get up in the morning and beat it as best you can to put food on your plate. Because what is your other option? You're just going to lay there and die? Well, unfortunately, I think many brothers choose that option. But I just wanted to touch on that because it came up. And I remember growing up, my father telling me oftentimes what black people can't do. Well, you know, black folks can't have those jobs. And it came up during the interview and I caught it, you know, going back over chopping up this section. So whatever it is you need to get out here and do, black man that may be listening to me, get out there and do it. So another few things that came up that I just want you to pick up on is, you know, really, should a man ever tell his son that he loves him? And, you know, I think my father ends up noting that his father loved him, but he just didn't really know how to show it. And I guess a question for you is it, do you think that it's harder to raise a child in the early 21st century of today? than it was in the 20th century let me know in the comments and i certainly love to hear it so with that let's go ahead and get into part three of my dad's story on the black prospector show That leads me into growing up in the hood. Um, you growing up then in Detroit, how did that shape you into the man that you are today? <laughs> they have trouble. <laughs> but I know I, I didn't I didn't I didn't really have an issue with anybody in Detroit because I guess I was a part of it, but I knew what not to do, what what to do, do where I shouldn't go, and stuff like that. And I didn't go. I was raised I shouldn't go because you kind of have a sense of, hey man, don't go over there because it's different kind of people. You get that vibe. You know how it is. Like you, you hear a rattlesnake, but don't go over there. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was like that. And you just, it depends on who you hang around with. You hang around with a thug, you're going to become a thug. And I don't know if you remember Derek, Big Derek Stevens. Well, I had him. It was my, it was my, my buddy, Robert Wicker, my buddy. You know what I mean? I learned a lot from both of those guys and I didn't hang around with a bunch of guys. And if it was, it was the same group and they all had parents. And so we, we got along except Robert. He was older than that was. He taught me a lot, a whole lot. So what was one of the things or a couple of things that he taught you? Be respectful. Kind of like your father, but he was, 
he he cussed me out and make me do it. <laughs> and he <even laughs> grabbed me. He, he grabbed me and said, get over here. You know better than that. Stuff like that. That kind of thing. That's where Robert was. How how much older was he than you? Five years, believe it or not. Okay. okay. <laughs> that meant Robert, he had just gotten out of the Navy. And he moved down the street with Mr. Kane. And I met him. And I don't know how we became friends. But we got so tight that Robert would buy a car. And I'd keep his car all day while he did work. <laughs> and then he'd go pick him up just like he was my girlfriend or something. But he really trusted me. And I trusted Robert. I even introduced him to his wife. Believe it or not. Mm. He wanted to meet some young girls. So I knew Rita. So I introduced him to Rita. And they eventually got married. Stayed married for a long time. Mm. So until Robert just decided he wanted some snow. I just took care of all of that. <laughs> so, no, as in white women, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> he still got one too, but now she's taking care of him because he's you know got the Alzheimer's thing. Oh wow! Wow. Seventy-nine or eighty now, something like that. Wow. The last time I spoke with him, he kind of like. I have to go back in the days of Marianne Faithful, the 63 Catalina, 421, all that convertible. Then he'll remember stuff like that. The mm-hmm. Righteous Brothers. Then, oh, Dickie, like that. He'll remember that. Mm-hmm. Then they said, who am I talking to again? And that's, that's sad, you know, talking to him. It's hard to do. Yeah. That was another guy I was tight with. Yeah. And you so, know, Derek, well, he was just a big old boy, to, <laughs> like a bodyguard. <laughs> Six foot five, 365 pounds. Wow. Home Robin, Derek. And we ride around in the Volkswagen Beetle, too. <laughs> <laughs> he get out of a big guy, man. <laughs> but, you know, we were cool. And that's it. I only had a couple friends that were tight. I didn't get tight with too many people. Why is that? I just never did. Because I, I guess that's because being the only child, being away from my sister and all, everything, and I was always alone. Father worked midnight. Helen stayed down south a lot. And then when she was home, she'd go to bed with the chickens. And I'd be around by myself, me and the dog. So that's why, and I, another reason I didn't get in trouble because I didn't have anybody get in trouble with it, really. Mm. As I, I stayed, all my buddies, they were home you know, with their parents. If they were out, the parents knew exactly where they were. Mm. So we, we didn't have any issues the kids have now. Everybody was everybody's keeper, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. The Simmons see me doing something wrong. Guess what? She's gonna tell me. Then she's gonna tell my parent. It's gonna go on down the line. Please don't tell my parent. So, and she might smack smack me. And the parents would say, "Oh, she should have smacked you harder." <laughs> yeah, right, I remember Helen grabbing right. by the ear, taking me in the house, stuff like that. Wow, oh, that hurt. But that's how it was back then, and we—that was a whole different generation of people being raised that way. Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. now some crazy beat their kid and now they say everybody can't hit your kid anymore. That makes them mm-hmm. violent. No, that keeps us from being violent. <laughs> the way I look at it. Right. And you mentioned bully a while ago. Well, bullies, you don't go tell a teacher, you fight the bully, you stand up to the bully. Then they won't be bullies anymore because the bullies usually can't fight. Mm-hmm. They have their buddies behind them or they pick at you because they can pick on you. That's how I remember bullies. To tell a mm-hmm. teacher, man, please. But that's a different generation. I am so glad you guys are grown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, in, in all fairness to granddaddy, you know, and, and I'm, I tell you this now because I, I now have gotten over it. But, you know, it used to bother me when you would say, you know, knowing what you know now, I wouldn't have kids. 
And but now I am at that stage where I realize why you say it, because it sounds at the time it sounds like, well, you wish I wasn't born. But now yeah, it wasn't I, like that. <laughs> right. You saw the world changing mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like, wow, would I really want to have children in this environment? Because it's a whole lot different than it was when I what I thought my children were going to be growing up in. And now I'm looking at my kids and my grandkids and, you know, I'm making comments to them like, well, I'm glad I probably don't have many, many decades to live down here <laughs> to see some things that's going to happen. But y'all might be here. <laughs> so yeah, that's I what I thinking with that Trump stuff. Yeah, it's trouble. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. So yeah, knowing what I know, I wouldn't have kids because it's hard to raise a kid nowadays. It was easy before. Now you can't do this. You can't do that. Your kid cuss you out. What you gonna do about it? Mm-hmm. You can't do anything about it. So that, it's hard. And even the protection, you can't protect your kid anymore. You can't kill you. Stuff like that. So it's just that's that's what I meant by that. Right. And right. I get misconstrued all the time when I say something. So because people just run with it. Well, it sounds like maybe you got it from your father. Probably. Probably. <laughs> like I said, I learned a lot from him. But if I stop and take a break and you know, run to the corner and look back around the corner, wait a minute, that's not what he meant. you <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. That's how it works out. I said, uh, bad care, but it just didn't know how to show it. You know, it's like I knew he loved me, but he didn't know how to tell me that way. Because I, I never, ever to this day remember him saying he loved me. Never. So, just like I never ever remember my sister getting a spanking. Never. It was always me. And I wasn't bad. I was scared to be bad. <laughs> mm. Afraid to be bad, yeah. So, did but like mean, the story, did... I, I, I was told you guys, I would get the spanking to show her what she'd get if she did it. And I wasn't joking about that. That was true. If she was around, she could tell you that. Cause she'll laugh at that and tell you that was true. Mm-hmm. Did oh, these other older men at that time, did they talk about, um, I don't know, the, the other black men that you saw with your friends, let's say, their fathers, did their fathers tell them that they loved them or did their fathers really show love to them in that kind of way? Mm, I could say Alvin Hunter's father did. I, I didn't notice stuff like that. He was a real, like, real family guy. And you see him hug his dad when he comes home from work or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Buddy, well, you know, they had yeah, so many kids, they probably couldn't keep track of them. <laughs> but I don't know. I, 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 I saw the love because they went to work every day, they took care of the kids, everybody was dressed. I mean, we, we didn't know we were poor, <laughs> put it that way. Mm-hmm. And if we really look back, we really weren't poor, but we didn't have as much as some of the other people had. But we never knew it because our parents, you know, never let us want for much. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was. So they 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 showed love that way. Or oh, I remember before saying something about loving me, and he said, "I feed you, don't I?" Stuff like that. Right. Okay. So tell me a little bit about out west. I mean, I know kind of where we've gone so far. What you told me in the story, you came back to Detroit, but obviously, I know what ended up happening. Where you end up, the fact that I'm here out west now is because of a love that you while you might not have wanted to stay in california when you ended up getting when you were younger when did that love when did that desire to be out west and go to california when did that start well after i got back in michigan you know we had kids and we started making those yearly trips to california and it was so beautiful 
driving across country. I mean, it was a pain, but it was fun. Yeah, three kids in the back fighting. Looking back now, that was fun. Three kids in the back trying to sing, that was fun. But we went across country. We saw things that you will never, ever see again. You can't see it in an airplane. And you just did things. And things you will never, ever forget. And it makes me say, why well, leave this country? I can stay in America and see everything I want to see. So doing that out west. And then I hated going back home. I said, oh, this is Detroit. Roads got bad. Things, everything was totally different, like a different world, like going into a zombie zone. Cloudy, sun doesn't shine, cold. I want to go back out west. So when I retired, you see where I got. <laughs> but the dream is still there. And you, you're kind of living my dream right now. But what I like about it, it's just so peaceful out there. I can see from miles. I can see God's creation. I can see just the beauty of, of nature itself. And, you know, one of my favorite things is Golden Gate Bridge. I am totally fascinated by that bridge. I've been under it, on top of it, on both sides of it. <laughs> I can almost tell you to count the ribbons on the bridge. So I just, I've sat up there for hours just sitting there looking at the bridge. So it's just something that my heart desire to do. And this is what we still plan to do again this year. Didn't need to say it. We're, we're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this last trip I just took. I said, man, that's a little seven hour drive. That kind of hurt. But I said, well, I could do it. We got the rest of our life to do it. Right. So I'm going to try it again. Right. So did you ever live in California for a period of time? And if so, why did you leave? Oh, well, as I said, when my parents divorced, when she took us there, we moved on Rhode Island with my aunt living with her. And I stayed there, what, two years? Something like that, two years before I got back to my father. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really didn't like it, because like I said, I missed dad. I wanted to go back. But I had fond memories of California because I could walk for miles as a kid. Nobody never bothered me. Mm. <laughs> but you can't do that now. But then as I came back to Michigan, lived with my father, got married, and then wound up going back to California. I don't know what really made me do that. I think it was a job situation or something. Okay. I just wanted to okay. go back. And I got on the ground and went back. And sent for your mom. In a few weeks, she came. We started a new life there. Stayed mm -hmm. there another couple, couple of years, two, two or three years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And we both got homesick again. <laughs> Believe it or not, but we had good times in California. I mean, we did all the street racing. We had new cars. We moved in different places. We did stuff every day. We both worked. And, you know, we didn't have any children or anything, so we just did our thing. We got on the bus, you know, we sold everything we had, got on the bus, came back to Michigan. Wow. I heard about Great Lakes Steel hiring on a Thursday. I got there Thursday night, Friday morning, I went to the employment office, took my test, got the job, I never left. 34 wow. years later, and I retired. And then, oh, two years later, you know, I found out Virginia was pregnant. So, of course, that was you. But that's when I worked my first full paycheck. When I found mm -hmm. out that she was pregnant, <laughs> I, worked, <laughs> I worked two years and never worked a full paycheck. And from that day on, I've been a workaholic, basically. I hate to miss a day of work. Even though I'm retired, I still mess around and do jobs. 
So just that work ethic that I got from my father also work ethic. Mm. He would work mm. constantly. Mm. So when you say the job opportunities, when you were 18, why did, did you find a lack of job opportunities for an 18 year old you or as an 18 year old black man in Detroit at that time? And why did you maybe think California would be better or any different? Well, I worked for Fords and I got fired from Fords because what would they tell me? I think I got smart with a, a union man and he wouldn't defend me or something like that. It's something about they have you have to have a Ford product and I had a Starfire Oldsmobile. And I told him <laughs> I buy what I want. <laughs> buy what I want to buy. Because the parking that lot, you had to have one. I told him, buy what I want. You'll tell me what to buy, you know, stuff like that. So he wouldn't defend me when they gave me some time off. And I said, well, I don't have to come back. So I never came back. <laughs> so I said, I'd go back to California. So I went back to California and I had 13 jobs in 19 months. So there's work, there's work out there. It depends on what you want to do. Mm. I mean, you, you don't always start off in the top, but you start off doing something to keep food on the table. Mm. Just like when I came back and got a job at Great Lakes, I started off sweeping floors. I wound mm. up being a line technician, one of the top paying jobs out there. Mm. You just keep going up and up and up. You know? And I learned a lot by when everybody taking takes a break and go sit down lollygag in a lunchroom, I'd go in another building and figure out how to run something, how to do something, and nobody's around. And that's how I learned stuff, like driving at Huff. The guy jumped off of to go to lunch. I jumped on and figured out I could drive this. And it never stopped. Wow. Curiosity. I could do it. Yeah, I remember that big, was it Huff 400? Yeah, yeah. I, I, the first job I remember you having, at least, was in going to your job, going to the Zug Island. And I remember seeing that tractor and how huge the tires were and everything else. And you took me up in the, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, the cockpit or whatever. <laughs> so the cab, yeah. The cab, cab, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that. And I remember going to get your paycheck. Uh, and I certainly remember how dreary that that place looked like Gotham City in a, in a comic book, oh, where no matter how sunny it was, you get near <laughs> Zug Island, and it was immediately cloudy and, yeah, and just dirty, looking horrible. Stinky. Yep, <laughs> but it, it made money. I made tons of money there. Mm, mm. Did you end up? Did you end up um, looking back? What would you really have wanted to to do as a profession in your life? It had to be something with cars. Mm. Only I can tell you, something with cars. I can't mm. say designing them because I wasn't. I'm never good at drawing. I really couldn't tell you. Hmm. Not offhand. Except cars. what I mentioned, like sure, planes, anything with a motor. I used to like planes, trains. I like stuff like that. Things that we couldn't do. Mm. That's what I'd want to do. Looking back. But at the time, I didn't know anything else except going to factory and make some money. Now, let's let's put a pin on that for a second. When, just to explain, when you say things we couldn't do, what do you exactly mean by that? Well, like air traffic controller. How many of us do you see? Or have you seen black men? As in black men? Black men, right. And, okay. you know, I know Reagan fired a lot of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we weren't there. I can only go by what I see. And even on TV now, you still don't see them. And things, jobs, engineers, you don't, you see very little of that. And if you see that, see them, they're like a lower level. You, you don't see the guy that designed, say, 
I made the design for the Golden Gate Bridge. You don't see that guy. So what what have we really contributed? And <laughs> you can go back. If we really do something, they don't want to recognize us for it. That's right. That's right. So I can't can't put a pin on it. Really, what what I, what would I have been? I know what I I'd like to have been a better father, better husband. As far as a provider, I could have done more. I did waste a lot of money, but I thank God I had the money to waste, <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> because, you know, some people don't have anything. You know, I've given away a lot of money because, you know, mm-hmm. people would say, oh, you pay your tithes, pay your tithes. Well, I know this person over here didn't have any food, so I give them a box of food. You know, I didn't have any tithes. I just mm-hmm. paid my money over here, stuff like that. They always thought that was wrong, but I didn't. That's the kind of person I am, and I'll still do it today. Did you ever have any teachers or any adult tell you you can't be something? No. Mm. No. I always had (laughs) Helen tell me, if you don't finish high school, you can't even dig a ditch. How right she was. (laughs) Mm. You can't. Actually, you really can't do anything except be in the service industry, basically now. And this is much worse now. I mean, college doesn't even help you. Either you're overqualified or underqualified. So she she used to always tell me that you can't you can't even dig a ditch. Mm. I was pitching myself in that ditch with a helmet on digging holes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know what I thought about a funeral director owning a funeral home. I did think of that when I was younger. That's a lifetime okay. job. That is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought of it as younger. But people say it's morbid, morbid, but I'm saying, wait, a minute, that's a lifetime job. We don't have to worry about it. You're not going to be laid off. People are always going to be dying. Mm-hmm. But you just have to get established. An extremely popular black business. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought about that back in the day. That was oh, one of the few black mind. businesses that nobody bothered us. I mean, because they they didn't want to be bothered with burying black bodies. So that was one of the few <clears> businesses they let black folks run and be like, you you bury your own people. We don't care. Yep. <laughs> and so you were able to have your business do your thing and flourish. Yeah, and actually that's a good deal now. <laughs> if you want to mm-hmm. get into that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, if if it was something on cars, what was the first car you owned? Uh, 53 Plymouth. Four door. Savoy, I think it is. Three on a tree. Flathead six. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you buy it? Never get that. I didn't buy it. Douglas gave it to me across the street. Because mm. he didn't want it. He just gave it to me. Wow. So I drove it. I had it up until 65. Not only 65, 68. Wait, when wow. did I have that car? I had it a long time. Put it that way. Okay. So, yeah, what year did you buy it then? He gave it to me. Oh, yeah. What year did he give it to me? That was in like 63. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was 10 years old. It was was already had some some age. It was great. They had rust all over it. It was like gray primer at that. And they tried to patch that up. That didn't work. But it it ran. They had three different size tires on it. It it ride from side to side because the tires all wiggly wobbly. (laughs) It was a car. So, and then the guy next door gave me another one. It was a two-door, but he came and took the tires off. So my father made him come take the car back because you can't give him a car to take the tires off. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so he took his car back. <laughs> <laughs> and then the dad bought me a Corvair, 61 Corvair. Mm. And that's the third gray car. I, I don't I hate gray cars. <laughs> the third gray car I've had. 
the Corvair. And that's the one we drove around in. That was my first accident. Corvair. And then the Corvair Monza Spider came out. Dad, I woke him up. He was sleeping. I saw it in the car lot. I wanted it. No, believe it or not, he got up and came and looked at it and bought it for me. What? <laughs> yeah, Corvair Monza Spider. Convertible at that. Wow. He went back to bed. Yeah. He, wow. If I wanted a car, he would always buy it. Got, bought the Starfire, he bought 59 Ford, he bought 57 Ford, he bought, he bought me all that stuff. So but he I actually started spot some money. Okay. He, 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 had, he had money. He's all, well, he does like I do now. Like, do you tell me, Dad, you always have money? Well, we have something stashed. Yeah. I mean, he's always had money stashed. I guess that's where I got that from. Yeah, you can go deep in your deep pockets or hidden places and find money. Because I have to think of where I put it sometime. I think that's <laughs> an old folks' trait. Yep. <laughs> <Where you put it. laughs> yeah. But I said, I know I got some money somewhere. But you never spend it. But mm. he, he would always do that. He, I never had a problem with him if I wanted a car. Mm. So even though he wasn't in the cars, he still basically funded your passion oh, yeah. for cars. Oh, yeah, he would. He would. And I, like I said, I kept his car spotless, even though I did some crazy stuff to it. You know, take the hubcaps off, <laughs> wax the rims, I put holes in the buffer to make it loud. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know any better, you know. <laughs> He's wondering why his car sounded louder. <laughs> I, I just punch holes in it. Stuff like that. I would steal this car while he's sleeping. Well, I didn't steal it. He just leave his keys on the table. Mm -hmm. I just borrowed a car. But I had to put the gas back, so my buddies and I would go out at night with buckets and a hole and we siphon gas out of the neighbor's car around the corner. And I'd put the gas back in my father's car. And that's how he never missed it. Mm, <laughs> like wow. I don't know why he just smelled gas all over the garage. <laughs> but stuff like that. We used to do some crazy stuff. Wow. And that's why, you know, Mr. Morrow used to say, we're not bad compared to the kids now. We did a little crazy mischievous stuff. We didn't do things the kids do now. We didn't hurt anybody. Stuff yeah, like Mr. That. Morrow was your next door neighbor for right. decades, Since right? 1956. I'll never forget him. Wow. I'll never forget his cars either. <laughs> so what was your favorite car? The one that you owned? Favorite car you ever owned? A Starfire. 62 mm. Starfire. And after that, I would say the Roadrunner. 68 Roadrunner. Why, 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 what was the main thing about both of those that, that make them your favorites? Starfire was, in its day, it was quick and it was beautiful. It was sharp, a lot of chrome, it was teal, had full power, everything. And it was just a sharp looking car. And Roadrunner, well, you know, that was the first 68 Roadrunner. I remember we went street racing out in California, San Francisco, Candlestick Park. I saw a Hemi Roadrunner. And he raced, uh, I forgot what he was racing, but I couldn't believe how fast that car was. Mm. That Monday morning, I was at the dealer. Mm. I bought a Roadrunner. Even though I couldn't get the Hemi because I didn't have cash money. Somebody came with some cash. <laughs> but he got the <laughs> Hemi, so I just bought 383, which I was still fond of. That didn't last long, you know the story on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, if you want to share the story, you can. Uh, it's up to you. Well, your mother. <laughs> like I said, we were living in California. It just two of us, you know. We were just hanging out with the fellas. Wherever I go, she'd go. 
we just had a little group of us, fellows and girls, and we just hang around. And this guy named Pudge, he had a 56 Chevy. And I used to like that so tough. I'd trade my road on it and let him keep it during the day, and I'd keep his Chevy. And then we met up one night at the gas station after he got on. Your mom wanted to go home. Well, I wasn't ready to go. So she, I told her, get in the car and go. You want to go? You know, she got in the car and went around the corner. I knew she'd be back. She came back. You ready to go yet? I said, no. She took off and floored it and lost control. Just spun out on her. And she hit two parked cars. 67 Mustang from Michigan. And another one. <laughs> you remember the car she hit? <laughs> oh, I remember. Yeah, and another one. The other one, the, the guy didn't care. You know, this is my junker. But the Mustang, I remember, was from Michigan. A white fastback. That's all, oh, man. So I'm a roadrunner. And the guy is trying to stop me. They thought, you a killer. I'm not going to bother. Said, yes, you are. They wouldn't let me get near it. But it's just a car. And I remember to this day, you're right, it's just a car. So I kept it for a while. Drove it with my old front end all bashed in. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I finally put it in the shop. And I put it in the shop. And I went to get it. It's not ready yet. Oh, it's not ready. It's not ready yet. It's not ready. And finally, I waited, man. It dawned on me. I had to pay the car note because <laughs> I was driving the car, so I had to pay the car note. <laughs> I'm young and dumb. Oh. Well, they told me I could come get my wheels off of it. That's, in other words, I had been repossessed. repossessed. Oh, <laughs> wow. I never had a car repossessed before. So that's what happened. I can see this picture of it now. I waved at it. Bye-bye. Oh. <laughs> little chrome wheels off of it. Brought them home, and that was it. Mm. Drove my mm. 54 Ford wagon around until I left California. And I gave that to a guy named Jimmy Hammond. <laughs> wow. Well, I know, you know, legend has it. How you you always would mention Johnny Mathis when you stayed in California? What, what was the what's the sixty de degrees of separation as they say with Johnny Mathis? We lived at nineteen forty four Eddy Street, right off of the Business Barrel, and he lived on Old Barrel, which was right behind us. In other words, basically, it, it was right behind us from a little over to the right. If you look out the back window, my sister knew more about that than I did, but she would always tell me Johnny Mathis lives there. And I did a little digging. And I said he did live there. <laughs> Mm. So, and that that was the truth. Back then, I didn't he, know anything. But was he like Johnny Mathis famous at that time, or was he just? I think he was. Working his way up? He was singing wow. in the sixties because I remember him wow. back then. Because he always sang smooth songs, the kind I didn't like then, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, right. <laughs> and I was surprised to learn he's still alive. I said, wow. Wow. Well, shout out to Johnny Mathis. Somebody send this over to Johnny Mathis so he can hear. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, he's still around. You remember Cynthia? She was crazy about you. <laughs> right, right. I bet every yeah. black woman was at that time. Oh, yeah. Johnny Mathis. Mm, mm. Yes, sir. All right. So let's fast forward. We'll come back to Detroit because we know you, you came back to Detroit after that and you had your favorite ride, at least out there in California. So when you get back up to Detroit, <laughs> now that you, you look back over your years and and so uh, you know i i like to ask this because i think now we're getting certainly more closer to contemporary world compared to your past more of, of the things that end up having an impact in the present when you look back at let, let's take it in stages what words of wisdom or let me take this back let me ask it this way if we look at the unforgiving moment the pivotal moment that you had in your life 
going back to the years before you came to Detroit and got that full time job at the steel mill. What would you say that the most impactful moment was for you? Oh, 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 oh